Hey guys, and welcome to What the Fuck with Frankie, the declassified guide to adulting, where we talk about everything we never learned in school and the topics that keep up our group chats up at night saying WTF. From pop culture news to sex, breakups, dating, and everything in between, nothing is off limits on my show. I'm your host, Frankie Endo Ando. Join me every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as I answer, discuss, and navigate us through the craziest topics, stories, and news that's going to leave you saying WTF. Use the hashtag WTF with Frankie to keep up with the conversation on Twitter and Instagram and share your own WTF moments or stories of the week. On today's episode, we're getting personal. And for the first time ever, I'm going to be 100% real with you guys, the listeners. For weeks, I've let you guys into my life. In today's episode of WTF with Frankie, I'm being my most honest self. I'm rewinding the tapes and going back to a time in my life where I felt I had no voice. In today's episode of WTF with Frankie, I'll be speaking for the first time in my life about my experience with sexual assault as a child. I'm saying out loud to the world that I am a victim of sexual assault. This is my first time ever saying these words out loud, and for years I wondered what this moment would feel like. And despite holding back um, tears right now, it feels amazing. Before we get into further details, If you or anyone you know has experienced sexual assault, know that you are not alone. Call 800-656-HOPE or visit rainrainn.org for free confidential 24-7 support. Also, the details of this podcast might be a trigger for any of those who have dealt with sexual assault. Please, please, if this may be a trigger, please exit before I continue. Now that I've given you guys any and all important information in regards to dealing with any personal cases of sexual assault slash harassment, um, for weeks I've spoken and preached about being real and honest and um, speaking about our real life experiences in hopes of helping others. Um, I created WTF with Frankie, the Declassified Guide to Adulting, as a way to connect with people. And I've said week and week again that this is a way for people to share their experiences in hopes Um, of helping and reaching others. And I hope today's episode I'm able to do so. Um, I feel like it's time for me to practice what I've been preaching on here to you guys. Um, When I got this podcast, I never in a million years thought I would use the platform to discuss anything as serious as this. But now it almost feels like an injustice for me to have a platform um, where I can speak up or bring awareness to something as serious as this and for me not to. There's not a lot I'm scared of, but today's episode is the hardest slash the scariest one to date. This isn't something I've ever talked about. This is something I've never even thought I would talk about on my podcast. I don't even know if I if I know or if I if I have the right amount of words to explain all of this. But when I started this show, I said I would be honest. So here I go. On today's episode, I'll be talking about being sexually assaulted as a child how it has shaped me socially and in romantic relationships, how I've overcome it, and how I'll deal with it moving forward. This is something I know many have dealt with silently. I have dealt with this for 17 years silently, and today I choose to no longer live my life silently. So let me illustrate something for you guys. I'm the youngest boy of five boys. I have sisters, two loving parents, and a shit ton of family. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I have cousins on cousins on cousins. I have cousins once removed. I have uncles, aunts, like four sets of grandparents, and the family just keeps on going on and on and on. Um, A typical weekend in my household growing up involved all my relatives, cousins, and family friends 
um, coming over to my parents' house and everyone spending the day at our house growing up. Um, for some weird reason, my house was the place to be. We hosted Thanksgivings, Christmas parties, New Year's Eves, Easter's, 4th of July. I mean, think Chris Jenner level events and then I think about my mom. Those are the types of events she threw. Um, the moms would be cooking in the kitchen and gossiping and the dads would be drinking Jack and Coke in the living room. Um, us kids would be trying to do these insane missions and or trying to like, you know, escape from our house and like run to the store without being caught. I think about those times and there were so many good times and there was so much laughter. Um, and I remember looking forward to Saturdays. But then I remember being in the first grade and on one Saturday night, my life changed forever. It changed how I viewed men. It would change my relationship and any relationship I had with men, with my parents, with my siblings, with anyone I ever came in contact with. After that weekend in the first grade, my life would never be the same. In the first grade, I began being sexually assaulted by someone who me and my family trusted. And for years it continued in front of several people, but no one, not one person thought anything about it Nobody thought that the relationship between me and this person was weird or out of the ordinary because this person's relationship, we consider that person like family. In the second grade, the following year after the first year I was sexually assaulted, the number doubled from being sexually assaulted by one person um, to being sexually assaulted by two different people who didn't know the other was sexually assaulting me as well. So yes, by the second grade, I had been sexually assaulted by two different people, alternating slash pa being passed back by the both of them, back and forth. The signs were all there, the proof was in the pudding, but not one person ever saw the clues. The details of the three years aren't necessary. I don't need to go into every detail and specify every single thing that happened to me in those three years, but... Those things can't be taken back. I can't unsee the things I saw. Um, I can't unhear the voices, the pain, the shame, the feeling of disgust can never be taken back. None of that can ever be taken back. There isn't a day where I don't see or smell or hear things that remind me of my abusers. There are foods, there are beverages I cut out of my diet because I remember at the age of seven being lured into doing sexual activities with dessert, with sodas, and etc. Over the last 17 years, I've learned to cope. I've learned to accept what happened to me. I learned that everything happens for a reason. I've learned that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And the fact that I'm here 17 years later on my podcast, on my own show, on my own platform, on my Instagram, and I'm able to speak my truth for the very first time is a moment for me. It's a moment for anyone who has ever been afraid or felt like no one would believe them or listen to them. It's a moment. For three years after it occurred for the first time, um, my Saturday nights were never the same. And had these people never moved away, who knows how much longer this would have continued. I remember being told, if you tell people, no one's going to believe you. I remember being told to remember what my dad said about respecting your elders. And my abuser saying to me, I'm your elder. When I tell you to do something, you have to do it. Remember, your dad told you. It was that type of manipulation that for a really long time in my life, I had to deal with. My abusers knew me well. They had studied me. 
They knew how to get to me. They knew my weak spots. They knew my routine. They knew when I got home from school. They knew what time dinner was at, what time I was tucked into bed. They essentially infiltrated my life. They knew how, when, and what to do to get to me when they wanted to. Um, being the last child of such a big family, to say we didn't all seek attention or would go to extremes so we would be noticed in our household would be a lie because there were so many of us. We were constantly always in competition with one another because, once again, there were so many of us. Everyone wanted to essentially be, let's say, the star. Everyone wanted to be the favorite. Everyone wanted to be the leader. And no one wanted that more than me. I was the last of the litter. I was the baby of the house. And my whole life, I was always the plus one. I was always the little brother of Damien, the little brother of Rosa. I never had my own identity. I never made any decisions. I never was allowed to because I had 12 people who came before me who would shut them down. I never had a voice. And the one that I thought I had was taken from me the first time I was ever sexually assaulted. And I was essentially told to shut up and not say anything ever. So yes, they both saw my need for constant validation as a way to lure me into their trap. They made me think I was lucky, like it was an honor that they had chosen me to, as my abusers would say, help them. And at that age, I went along with it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew and was told I was helping out. Each and every single time for three years, From the first grade until the third grade, I was told I was helping out and I believed it. I remember the first people I ever told in my life were my friend um, Amanda and Sabrina. After a couple of drinks at the Standard about maybe ironically two years ago from maybe around this time. I remember how great it felt to say it out loud for the first time in my life. But at the time when I told them I still felt like I deserved it. I felt ashamed. I felt like I asked for it. So although I said it out loud for the first time that night, I found myself defending my abusers to my friends. I remember saying that maybe they had been victims of sexual assault themselves and were just repeating what they believed to be normal. For years, I've made excuses for them. I've tried to come up with a million excuses for why they did what they did to me. Today that ends. I can say and speak confidently about this and know from the bottom of my heart that I didn't deserve this. I can say out loud that what I thought was love wasn't. I can say that those men were not men. They were sick, sick, sick cowards. I can say without shame for the first time in my life, that I am a male survivor of sexual assault, which is a very taboo statement. A lot of times we forget that men too are victims of sexual assault because men are taught from a young age to essentially suppress their true feelings. We don't cry. We're never in pain. We're strong. We don't talk about our feelings. And to essentially let no one in, 
while trying to keep up with what society thinks a man should be like, should behave like, almost killed me. Um, everyone asks me, when did you find out you were gay? And I always tell them, I don't know, because a part of me feels like it was never a choice. My first sexual experiences, the ex sexual experiences I know, the ones that were forced on me during the developmental stage of my life were with a male. So I grew up with that and made it my norm moving forward in my mind. I never challenged it. For three years of my childhood, I was being sexually assaulted by two men. So it's all I knew. The affection of those men, that's what I knew. Um, I can even say today that I had more skin-to-skin -skin contact with those men than I have had with my birth father. You know, um, I remember around the third grade, so two years after it started happening, having to walk home with one of my abusers and realizing what was going on wasn't normal. He would get very upset if I spoke to another male. It was essentially like what I now know as an adult today as having an abusive slash controlling boyfriend. Um, at the end of the third grade, both abusers ironically ended up moving away from Washington, D.C. And the abuse ended, but I never stopped thinking about it. There's not a day where I don't think about it. There's not a day where I don't think about if I hadn't gone upstairs to look for my GameCube controller and stayed in sight if this would have never happened. There's not a day where I wonder, where I don't wonder where they are and if I'll ever see them again. There's not a day where I wonder how many victims or how many people they've taken advantage of before or after me. There's not a day where I don't ask myself if I had any other cousins who were younger or maybe around my age or even older that were assaulted by these two people. There's so many questions I still have to this day, but I'll never get those answers. Everyone deals and copes with assault differently, and although I'll never get the answers to my many questions, although I'll never see these men behind bars or punished for what they did to me, a piece of me feels victorious today knowing that I didn't continue the cycle. A lot of people who are abused end up abusing, since the Me Too movement came out, I've seen so many people come out with their stories on public platforms larger than mine and being so brave. And this secret has crippled me in so many ways you guys have no idea. And finally today, I'm ready to be free of it. I've never sought out therapy. I've never spoken to a professional about this. My family doesn't even know about this until today. After my abusers moved away, I thought it would all be fine. I'd won the war. But what I didn't know was that the real battle had just begun. And this battle was with myself. There were nights where I couldn't sleep in a, in a dark room. I was afraid of someone coming into my bedroom. There were moments where I had to be picked up by someone or watched by someone while my siblings or parents were out of town. And I just sat there wondering how long until they came on to me. I essentially developed a social anxiety where I didn't want to necessarily be around other boys or other men. I basically had a fear of men and sought aid and most importantly protection from women. My friendships and relationships with men ended and my friendships and relationships with women began. I remember my theory for befriending the girls in my elementary school class and in my school was because I felt safe around the girls. In my mind, I had no anxiety around them. I told myself if any of them ever tried to hurt me, that I was stronger or that I was faster and could get away 
quicker than if the boys or men tried to hurt me again. My friendships with the girls and constantly hanging out with them at lunch and recess and not participating in activities with the boys growing up put a huge target on my back. And I remember I started getting bullied at school. I remember growing up and being bullied at school and not wanting to go to school, but not wanting to stay home because the rooms in my childhood home reminded me of various places I had been assaulted. I remember in the fifth grade, the bullying got so bad. And still to this day, I remember the bully. Um, I remember one day him and his friends were just being so nasty to me, so mean to me that there used to be times where I refused to go to the bathroom during school hours just because I felt like if I was out of sight, something would happen to me. I remember going home. It was a Wednesday on early release day. And there were renovations being done in my home at the time. And we had workers around the house and no one was paying attention to what I was doing. It was a busy day around the house. And I remember coming home and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I remember it like it was yesterday. In the fifth grade, for the first time, I had thoughts of committing suicide and ending it all for myself. I thought death would be the only way I truly could end everything. I thought to myself, if I die today, I can't ever get hurt again. I can't ever be bullied again. I won't have to go to school anymore. That day, I attempted to kill myself in my bedroom. Things didn't go as planned, obviously. I remember after my failed attempt at suicide, just being so angry. I remember feeling failed by God. I turned so nasty. My attitude, my anger, my language, just it really went downhill after that. I remember going to school and sitting in the classroom and being there physically, but not there mentally. Kind of like during my assaults. My body was always there, but I always had to take my mind somewhere else to get through it. And it was really tough for me. And I think a lot of people saw changes in me, but no one knew why. Everyone just assumed it was the typical preteens rebellious stage I was going through. And everyone said it would just pass. And you're probably wondering, Frankie, what pushed you today to just decide to talk about this and be so honest? And I realized just how much in the past four years I've lived in New York, how I've been present physically but not here mentally because I block out my true emotions and how I really feel. Someone asked me, what has been your favorite part of living in New York City? And I couldn't even go far back enough because most of my time is spent drinking to forget about what's really going on in my real day-to-day life. Carrying a secret like this one, carrying this level of trauma for the last 17 years has not been easy. Um, There were days where I wanted to end things. There were days where I thought I was over it and could live a regular life. Then there would be a high and then it would be a low and I'd be sad again. And I taught myself at a young age how to sweep things under the rug. Um, By the age of 12, I had mastered the craft essentially of putting on a happy face even though on the inside I was hurting or sad. And it's continued up until today. Um, I essentially had to become... I mean, to basically illustrate it, an Academy Award actor since the very first time I was sexually assaulted. I've had to pretend I wasn't in pain when I was. I've had to pretend I wasn't uncomfortable when I was. I've had to sit there and tell my abusers I enjoyed what they did so they could feel better. I've had to pretend everything in my life was fine and perfect, even though it wasn't. 
until today, until this podcast. Um, I was taught to not speak my truth. I was silenced. I was taught a false sense of love. I thought my abusers loved me. And this has affected my relationship socially and romantically. In my mind, liking someone or loving someone is something that should be hidden. The idea of me being affectionate or telling someone to their face that I love them or that I like them isn't something I think I'll ever be comfortable with. Because my idea of love, like what my idea of love, what I thought it was for so long was being told that I love you, but you got to keep it a secret because the outside influences would take it away from me. But that's for another podcast episode. I was told even if I did say what was going on, no one would believe me. And that because I was younger, no one would believe me. And that everyone would simply say, oh, the baby of the house was just making up a story. He wants some attention. Well, today the baby of the house has spoken. He isn't scared. He has a voice. He's wiser. He's smarter. And today he's spoken. For 17 years of my life, I've never been more honest, more real than I am in this moment. Um, My sexual assault is something that genuinely, like I said earlier in this podcast, has crippled me for so long. It has stopped me from ever really being more than surface level friends with people because I feared letting them see where I was hurting. I feared letting men in both socially and romantically because I didn't know how to explain to them that simple things like being hugged or grabbed by them still to this day makes my skin crawl. So I self-sabotaged every single time before we could even get that close or before we can even start talking about childhood and upbringings. Um, Something I needed to do to come into terms with what happened to me in my childhood is the fact that I had to understand that this wasn't my fault. For a really, really, really long time when thinking about this, I constantly thought about my role in my assault. And that's the thing I needed to understand. I didn't have a role. The second thing I had to come to terms with was my guilt in thinking that because I never told anyone that I allowed two abusers to go into the world and harm others. But speaking about this today on my podcast, knowing that there might be a listener or two who will listen to this and will also share their story or maybe feel inspired to go and seek help or to, you know, pass the story on to other people that they know who have been hurt settles my heart just a little bit. Knowing that I have done my part as a survivor of sexual assault and have brought some sort of awareness melts my heart a little bit today. As of today, I choose to live my life to the fullest and to be honest and say and do what makes me happy for the very first time. I've lived my life protecting others for way too long and won't be doing it moving forward. Um, I've decided to seek help and will 100% be seeking treatment and talking to professionals about this and definitely will share my experience with that moving forward. Um, I've accepted what happened to me 17 years ago and with the start of a new decade coming up, I've decided to start a fresh new chapter in my life. The last 17 years have been full of hiding, not being heard, deception, and silent cries for help. The other day, my producer Federico asked me, what do you think the younger version of yourself would think about the older version of himself? And for the first time, I can confidently say that younger Frankie, the little boy who was scared and confused, the one who was ready to give up on his life, the one who struggled to genuinely smile or laugh, the kid who was hurting on the inside but made sure no one knew, um, he would be proud of the man I'm slowly becoming every single day. A man who can speak his truth, a man who doesn't hide his pain, 
a man who laughs, a man who has friends, a man who is educated, a man who feels safe, a man who feels heard, and a man who sets goals and achieves them. And most importantly, the biggest one, because younger Frankie would never and could never have even imagined this, a man who is slowly but surely allowing men into his life. I'm slowly allowing myself to create brotherhoods and friendship with men, which is something for years I could have never done. Obviously, there are highs and lows, but I've met some men who are like brothers to me, who have shown me nothing but love and support, and who have taken me and accepted me so for who I am and for being authentically myself. So shout out to them. They know who they are. John, Jalen, OG, Hector, Brandon, H. Felix, Steve, and many more. Thank you guys so much. When I created this podcast, I created it to share my experiences in hopes of helping others. Our community here on WTF with Frankie is growing. It might not be hundreds and hundreds of thousands, but if my story helps any, I've done my job. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of WTF with Frankie. This episode isn't about the ads or the sponsorships. I didn't care about the money this week. I didn't care about the followers or the DMs or the popularity. I did this for little Frankie. I did this for the little boy in me whose voice had not been heard until today. Once again, if you or anyone you know has experienced sexual assault, know that you are not alone. Call 800-656-HOPE or visit rain.org for confidential 24-7 support. Thank you. See you guys next week for another episode of WTF with Frankie.